Good morning. Today's scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Again, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And the word of the Lord reads, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has, forth, has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. Recently, also in our, in our world, the world lost one of its most adored heroes. He was born Cassius Clay in Louisville, Kentucky. He became the heavyweight champion of the world. He took unto himself the name of Muhammad Ali. He crowned himself the greatest of all time. When he retired in the early 80s, his heir apparent was a young boxer by the name of Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes was a great fighter in his own right. But he admired Muhammad Ali, and they came to Larry Holmes one day, and they asked him, are you just trying to mimic, are you just trying to be like Muhammad Ali? And Larry Holmes looked at him and said, of course. Why not? He was the greatest of all time. Why wouldn't I like to be like him? Well, the Christian, beloved, there is no doubt who is the greatest. For the greatest is our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, for the Christian, there is no question. We are desiring to be like him. This is our hope. This is our aim. In fact, when Jesus called his disciples, when he called James and John, when he called Peter and Andrew, he called them with the same word. He said, come and do what? Follow me. Now, when Jesus called his disciples to come and follow him, I hope you understand that that was not just a call for the disciples to come and to be where Jesus was. This was not just a call to come and live where I live. This was not just a call to come and go everywhere I go. But the idea here is that you would come and follow after me. 
When Jesus says, come and follow me, he not only says, come and be with me, he says, come and be like me. How he called all of his disciples to come and follow me. This is the Christian witness in the world. This is the life of faith in the world, the life lived to glorify God. The life lived to glorify God is to know Christ and then by your life make Christ known. It is to come to Christ and then in coming to Christ, seeking to reflect Christ to a world that others might see Christ and they also come to Christ. This is the nature of the Christian life. According to our text this morning, it is accomplished by imitation and example. Our text here in 1 Thessalonians is written as we saw last Time, it is written to the church, the young church in Thessalonica. And the church in Thessalonica was one of the first churches that Paul and Silas established on their second missionary journey. You can find the account there in Acts chapter 17. And though Paul and Silas had to leave the saints in Thessalonica prematurely, the Bible says to us and shows us here that as we saw last week, they were always praying for the health and the well-being of the saints that were in Thessalonica. And they were hoping to hear a good word and a good report from the saints that they had left back in Thessalonica, that the church, this young church was growing and doing well and keeping the faith and walking in the word that was preached to them. And when Paul and Silas received word back concerning the saints in Thessalonica, they were strongly encouraged. They were encouraged because they learned that those saints were imitators and examples. Imitators and examples. They were imitators. Because, as we have already said, following Christ is not just being with Jesus. Following Christ is being like Jesus. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. And you became imitators of us, and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of Holy Spirit. You became imitators of us and Christ. Paul and Silas were encouraged by the word they had received concerning the Thessalonians that they knew the value. These Thessalonians understood the value of godly examples. They followed Jesus. 
They imitated Jesus. Beloved, there is nothing that you could say that would be more commendable of a Christian than you would say that Christian man or woman is imitating Jesus. They follow after Christ. There's nothing that you could say more encouraging concerning a church then you would say, there is a company and a communion of Jesus that is imitating Jesus. He says, you imitated us and you imitate the Lord. This is, this is what made the early Christians rejoice. That they would be called Christians that they would be called those who belong to Christ, that their lives and their witness would be such that the only word that people had for them, you are little Christ. And the word that was given to them as a term of derision became a term of endearment. You're a Christian? Yes, if you put it that way, yes, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. They not only followed Christ, beloved, but Paul says that they followed Paul and Silas. This is, this is really, this, I think this is really interesting because if we're honest, and we need to be this morning, if not with anybody else, at least be honest with ourselves that we understand sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. You read in the New Testament and how Jesus went about doing good all the time. You read in the Bible how Jesus tells you to turn the other cheek, to give to those who ask of you. You read in the Bible where Jesus says, forgive, and you will be forgiven, but if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And there are days, there are weeks, there are months where it is difficult to follow Jesus. Well, if you find yourself in a position where it's difficult to follow Jesus, Here's a word of encouragement. Why not cozy on up next to somebody who is following Jesus and seek to follow them? Paul says, you were followers, imitators of us. This is why Paul could say, beloved, Follow me. I'm following Jesus. And he was encouraged because they followed Jesus. And they followed Paul and Silas. They followed them in that they received the word in affliction. See that in verse 6 again? For you receive the word in much affliction. Like most of the early church, beloved, 
The Thessalonians, when they were coming to Christ, when they received the word of God, the Bible tells us that they were intimidated. They were harassed. They were extorted and even persecuted for their faith and this new public confession of Jesus Christ. And yet the trouble and the affliction did not cause them to draw back from the word. But for them to look to the word and stand strong in it. Afflictions and trials, beloved, usually cause in us one of two reactions. Either we receive in the midst of afflictions and troubles and trials, we receive the encouragement of the word, or we reject the encouragements of the word. We either draw near unto God at those times, or we draw back from God. Paul and Christ both received the word in affliction. And when the word comes to us in affliction, and it seems to always come to us in affliction, Affliction in body, affliction in soul. How often, beloved, have has, has the testimony of the saints been that they came to know the Lord through a sickness or an illness or a trial, that the word of the Lord came to them in the midst of an affliction? often have those who have been on sick beds, those who have had their bodies racked with pain, give the testimony that it was through that affliction that they received the word of the Lord. Not only affliction in, in body, but the in affliction in soul. How often, how often has been the testimony of those who have who have lost love and have gone through depression and fear and anxiety, find that it is often in this context that the word of the Lord first came to them. And they found cause to embrace it, beloved. In fact, it is often not until we come to an end of ourselves that we begin with God. This is what God often does. He brings us to an end in ourselves. I don't know about you, but personally, it was not until I saw my own end did I see the Lord. And it was the Lord who showed me both. Thomas Watson, a great writer who said, 
not until sin becomes bitter does Christ and his word become sweet. They received the word in affliction, and yet how did they receive it? The Bible says that they received the word with joy. For affliction and harassment, affliction and harassment are often the sources in our lives of what? Anger, bitterness, frustration, even retaliation. But not for the Thessalonians. For when the affliction came, they received the word, and it was not unto anger or bitterness or retaliation or frustration, but it was unto joy. Joy, joy. Nothing, nothing seems so counterintuitive, beloved. I understand that. Nothing seems so counterintuitive than to have joy in the midst of affliction. And yet, nothing glorifies or better yet exemplifies Christ. More than having joy in the midst of affliction. You want to follow Jesus? There it is. And so the Thessalonians, what did they do in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of their affliction and their harassment and their uh, extortion? What did they do? Well, they sat around and had pity parties. No, sir. No, ma'am. But like the disciples in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, they rejoiced to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Hello? They counted themselves joyful that they had been counted worthy to suffer. Christ, to suffer for him. They chose not, beloved, to simply look at themselves and their circumstances, but they chose to look to Jesus. Listen, 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 beloved, listen. The Bible and the word of God does not come to us so that we might know how to get rich. The Bible and the Word of God does not come to us so that we might know how to make friends and to become famous so that we might know how to live a carefree life. The Bible and the Word of God comes to us so that we might know how to suffer with joy. How to faithfully endure affliction. How to live faithful lives in a faithless world. That's why you have that Bible in your hand. 
That's why we preach every Sunday. If you come here looking for what stocks to invest in, you've come to the wrong place. If you've come to know how to make sense of the slaughter in Emmanuel and me church, how to make sense of the senseless killings in Orlando this past week, or how to make sense of the loss and the frustration in your own life. You've come to the right place because you're going to receive the word of God in the midst of that affliction and hopefully point you to Christ that you might have a joy that the world can't understand. That's what it means to be imitators of Christ. what the writer of Hebrews says, right? In chapter 12. Looking to Jesus. Seeing Jesus. Setting your focus on Jesus. Who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. Enduring Affliction with joy. That's what it means to be like Jesus. It's really what it means to imitate Jesus. Beloved, following Jesus is easy when it's easy. You know what it means to follow Christ? Paul tells Timothy, imitate me, Timothy. Endure hardship. You want to imitate me as I imitate Christ? Endure hardship. This is the testimony that the Christian has to the world, beloved. The Christian's testimony to the world is that the world is full of pain and affliction. But the Christian knows how to endure. This is the testimony of the church. How woeful is the testimony of the church that the church tells the world how to gain money. How to gain fortune. How to be popular and powerful. You do know, beloved, the world laughs. They don't need you to tell them how to make money. They need us to tell them how to live in a world that's gone sideways. How to imitate Jesus. 
Well, this is Christ to us, beloved. With joy he left heaven. With joy he humbled himself. With joy he took the beatings. With joy he took the shame. With joy he carried that cross up to Calvary. With joy he got up on it. And with joy he proclaimed it is finished. And with joy, beloved, he paid and suffered for all our sins. They were imitators of Jesus and Paul and Silas because they endured much affliction and they received the word with joy. And then, beloved, it didn't just stop there, does it? Because those who imitated Christ then became worthy of being imitated themselves. See that in verse 7. As a result of imitating Christ, Paul says, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You became an example. Those who imitated Jesus then became worthy of being imitated. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because there are others keeping their eyes on you. Apparently, beloved, the Thessalonians had acquired a reputation. You see that? They had acquired a reputation. For Paul is writing to them from Achaia. And as he had left them and he had traveled all about, everywhere he went, the testimony of the Thessalonians was well known. Their faith was their fame. See what it says in verse 8? Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Your faith has gone before you. They had a reputation. They were known. Trusting Their faith was worth emulating. Their fellowship was worth following. Paul tells the Philippians, chapter 3 and verse 17, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And then he says, And keep your eyes on those who walk. those who walk according to the example you have in us. Imitate me, but also keep your eyes on those who by example 
are imitating us. Keep your eyes on Jesus, but also keep your eyes on those who have their eyes on Jesus. But unfortunately, this is often not the case. Unfortunately, beloved, what we often have are blind leading the blind. We like to cozy up to people not who are following Jesus. We like to cozy up to people who can't even see Jesus. And we have the blind leading the blind. And all of the sheep just going off the cliff, one after the other. Beloved, I am amazed at how many people struggle with their faith and yet they spend most of their time with people who are struggling with their faith. Does that make sense? You can't see Jesus and you're hanging out and talking with people who can't see Jesus. And you wonder why you can't see Jesus. Charles Barkley, who once said, I am not a role model. Honey, that's what most Christians want to say. I'm not a role model. Don't follow after me. I'm sorry, Mr. Barkley. But the faithful Christian is a role model and is glad to be one. Glad to point people to Jesus. Glad to show people who Christ is. Are they perfect? No, beloved. But they are being perfected in Christ. And they are not pointing people to them, but they are pointing people to him. And how do they do this, beloved? Our text says, shows us, right? What were the Thessalonians do? What were they doing that was worthy of their example? Well, they were doing at least three things. They were sounding out the word. They were repenting of sin. And they were waiting on Jesus. This is what it means. This is simply what it means here in our text to be the example of Christ. For others to follow What are they doing? They are sounding out the word. They didn't just receive the word, but they sent the word as well. Verse 8. And the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. The word sounded forth from you. It echoed. It reverberated. It resounded throughout the province. what it means, beloved. 
to have the reputation that you are known as one from whom the word resounds. We all are known for something. We are. And too many of us are not known for things that are worthy of calling ourselves Christians. There are things that resound from us all the time. You know it. Resounds from us in our conversations and personal communications on Facebook, on Twitter, on Snapchat. Too much of it is frivolous. Too much of it is filled with selfish anger and bitterness and gossip. Sometimes, beloved, I'd be wanting to just pull out what little hair I have left. When I see some of the things that come across my Facebook feed from people who call themselves Christians. Anger. Bitterness, self-indulgence, gossip, vindictiveness. Is that what is to resound from us? There was gossip, beloved, from the Thessalonians, yeah. But it was holy gossip. They were talking. They were chatting. They were posting. They were posting concerning the word. They were posting concerning the gospel. They were posting concerning Christ. You want to tweet something, tweet that. Post that. Let it be known anytime somebody comes, yeah, they see you in their news feed, they say, oh, I know what he's about to say. I know what she's about to say. What resounds from you, beloved? What are you known for? What reputation do you have? Does the word resound from you? The Thessalonians set the example in sounding out the word of Christ. How about you this morning? They not only set the word in, the, in sounding out the word, they not only set the example in sounding out the word, but they set the example also in turning from sin. Turning from sin. They were also known, the Bible says here, turning away from idols and turning to God. <laughs> it says in verse 9, how you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. The conversion of the saints in Thessalonica was a big deal. 
And it was going forth throughout the providence so that when Paul went other places, he began to talk about it, and they say, Paul, we already heard. It was posted. They tweeted it out. We saw it. We've heard all about it. How they turned from idols and they turned to serve the living, the true, and the one God. Consequently, beloved, their salvation became well known and it became well known because it was real. It wasn't phony. It wasn't fake. It wasn't a momentary exercise in emotionalism. But it was a real turning that resulted in a real difference in their lives. For you see what the Bible says. They turned to the living God because they turned from idols. You see that? Do you understand what that is seeking to communicate to us? They turn from the idols. And then they turn to serve God. They didn't turn to serve God bringing their idols with them. This is what... This is Paul's understanding. This is the Bible's understanding of conversion. It is a turning. The turning away the things of the world and a turning to embrace Christ. This is repentance and faith. And true conversion must have both. It is not simply believing in Jesus, beloved. You got to believe in Jesus and then renounce everything else. When Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he tells his disciples, y'all drop those nets. Now you come follow me. He didn't say, pick up the nets and the fish and let's all go here. Drop the nets. Come and follow me. Don't worry about it. We'll fish for some men. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? Oh, yeah, you good. Come on. Get baptized. We all good. He says, no. You want to enter the kingdom? Here it is. Sell all you have. Give to the poor, now come and follow me. Requires that you put down the idols. This was big news. This is not just some passing comment here, beloved. This is big news. For there was idols all over Thessalonica. There were idols all over Rome. For everything that you wanted to do, there was an idol. You wanted to plant some seed in the ground, you go and offer to an idol. 
You want to have a child, you go and make offering to the idols. You want to start a new business, you go and make an offering to an idol. There was an idol for every aspect of your life. And here comes these Jesus people who come along and insist there is only one true God and he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Throw away everything else. Come and follow him. And the Thessalonian Christians did it. They did it. This is why it was so well known. They got saved in Thessalonica. Yes, they did, beloved. This is what, this is what genuine salvation is. It is turning from lies and turning to the truth. It is turning from disobedience and embracing obedience. It is turning from darkness and now walking in the life. It is turning from death and walking in life. It is turning from self and turning to Jesus. Do understand. To be a Christian, it means to turn from the kingdoms of this world and the turn to the kingdom of God. And our salvation, beloved, must be real. And not only must it be real, but it must be tangible because as it was for the Thessalonians, that's the only way it becomes an example for others. That there is real Change! This is what Paul says, right? First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And this is a trustworthy statement and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him to eternal life. Paul says the salvation that was wrought in me by the mercy of Christ is an example of what salvation looks like for all those who believe. It's what it looks like. So what happened to Paul? What did Paul do? Well, you can read it in Philippians chapter 3. All things that were gained to me, I counted as loss. Indeed, I count all things loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus. For I want to know him. In the power of his resurrection, and I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Because nothing else matters to me. That's a man who got saved. 
That's a man who came to know you, Jesus. And that's a man in whom the gospel made all the difference in the world. And that's a man who knew what it looked like. And that's a man who could confirm it in the Thessalonians. They were examples because they repented of their sin. They turned from idols and turned to serve the living God. And they were examples because they were waiting on Jesus. Waiting on Jesus. And turning from idols, beloved, and worshiping, they contented themselves to wait. It's so interesting how in the scriptures that serving God is tied to waiting on God. Those who serve God faithfully are those who content themselves to wait on God. Notice what it says, they waited on Jesus in verse 10. And to wait, this is their testimony, that they were to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were waiting on the return of the Lord. For this is the blessed hope of the Christian. This has always been the blessed hope of the disciples of Christ. Ever since the Lord ascended into heaven before their eyes, what has been their hope? that he would fulfill his promise in coming again. So they wait. They wait. They wait on him. But this waiting, beloved, is not a passive waiting. It is an active waiting. There is no mistaking, beloved, when it says that they were waiting on the Lord. They were waiting on the one who had come from heaven. They were waiting on the one who had died on the cross. They were waiting on the one who had been raised from the dead. They were waiting on the one who had promised to come again. And it was an active waiting. It was a waiting in which the word of God was sounding forth from them. It was a waiting in which they were seeking to live their lives according to the will and the ways of God. It was a waiting, as 1 John says, that all those who have this hope in themselves purify themselves. They live pure even as he is waiting on the one who was coming to receive him, receive them unto himself, and to deliver them from the wrath that was to come. Now, beloved, you do understand. Everybody's waiting on Jesus, right? I know we tend to think about the church and we're in the church and we're living our Christian lives like we're waiting on Jesus. But here's the reality. Everybody's waiting on Jesus. The only problem is those of us who are in faith, we know it. 
The Bible says there's a wrath coming. There's a wrath coming. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us that this wrath is going to be revealed against all godliness and unrighteousness of men. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6, this coming wrath is going to be coming against the sons of disobedience. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6, this wrath is coming against all sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. The wrath of God is coming. This is why, whether people want to admit it or not, or realize it or not, everybody is waiting on Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, the wrath of God is going to be revealed. The good news, beloved, is that if you are in Christ, you have not been appointed to this wrath. This is not your portion. For he has promised to come to deliver you from that wrath. This is why the Christians can sit in the midst of their congregations, in the midst of their fellowships, and pray and cry out and sing, Come, Lord Jesus, come. They're not saying that everywhere. It's the Christians who want Jesus to come. Why? Because we know that when he comes for us, he doesn't come with wrath. He comes with reward. He doesn't come in righteous indignation. He comes to us with joy. That you must be in Christ Jesus. To be redeemed and rescued from this wrath that is to come, beloved. This is the portion of those who faithfully and patiently wait on Jesus. Is that your testimony this morning? Are you waiting on him or are you getting impatient with his designs? with his disposal of your life? Are you seeking to take things into your own hand and thereby killing the testimony that you have in Christ Jesus and the example that you are to be setting that those who are in Christ Jesus wait on the Lord? They wait on him. So they know that in his time and in his way and in his will, When he finally does come, he comes with joy and reward. And he gives us the desires of our heart, which is him. Wait on the Lord, beloved. Wait on him. Show the world what it means to be a Christian by imitation and example. Let's pray.